spend the rest of my life telling this story, ain't I? We know the dangers. There's only one person who's in Welcome to this episode of The Meadow. I'm your host, Joseph Carver. The Meadow is where we gather to discuss all things innovation in independent schools. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with the Director of Arts at the Meadow School, Michael Lorman. We had a spirited discussion about how arts fit into rigorous academic institutions, what the through line is from doodler to professional artist, how technology has lowered the threshold for content creation, and what spaces mean to the successful growth and integration of an art program. All in all, it was an excellent conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's me with Michael Orman. So I was saying before that I think that it's really therapeutic that one of the first things you hear on the Meadow podcast is um, a child saying, don't freak out. But now I realize that actually the first, first thing you hear <laughs> is someone saying, I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling this story, ain't over I? And yeah. And that's sort of what adulthood is. Yeah. That sums up uh, being a parent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm a little concerned about it now. Uh, Tim Eldretti was really critical about it, but I, uh, but I, I sort of like it. So I'm, uh, thanks Michael Orman yeah. for joining us here on the meadow thank you uh, i am uh, excited to talk with you we we have some some similar experiences and we found over the last year or so that we um, share a lot of ideas about the way that schools work and the future schools so i'd like to start first by for those who already haven't had the opportunity to get to know you um, to ask you to talk a little bit about the journey that brought you to the meadow school yeah yeah um so so i've been here now i guess this is going on my second year um I am coming from Green Hill School in Dallas, where I was there for the past 11 years uh, in, in growing, growing spaces and growing forms of, of what my responsibilities were. But, you know, uh, there I started out as the technical theater director. Um, you know, prior to Green Hill, I was, uh, I was at MICDS in, in St. Louis doing a, the independent school thing, where I was, my background's in, uh, I have an undergraduate in mathematics and performing arts. And so I was teaching math in the morning. I was uh, coaching football and lacrosse in the afternoons. And then I would be doing technical theater in the evenings. And so basically spending my entire day at MICDS, you know, obviously this was prior to children. And then so when we moved to, to Dallas, I was just the technical director and, you know, got to focus solely on that. And as time went on, you know, as I think you do in independent schools is responsibilities and, and things grow and you kind of find your, your groove. And we, I was fortunate enough to be part of a, uh, the construction of our Performing Arts Center, which was this, this beautiful, uh, iconic building on our campus. And so the, my role there really was, you know, uh, owner's representative. And so mm-hmm. I, I was this in-between between the, the school and and uh, the contractors, the consultants, and the architects, and things like that. And so, so when we built this building and and got to kind of be be deep into it, my role was not only f- you know student facing, but then you know community facing. You know how how do we serve the broader community with this new space? Mm-hmm. And what is what is not only education, what does not only arts look like, but what does what does this school look like in terms of what? Um, where we're at in Dallas and mm-hmm. where we were at, you know, in as a 
as an institute, a 60 or 65 year old institution. So, yeah. so, you know, finished that project, uh, took on the role of, of, um, you know, art center manager oversaw that did a lot of community outreach. And then, uh, this, you know, Jeremy called me up and, and kind of told me about the position here. And so brought me on. And so that's, uh, that's kind of what led me here now. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. The, 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 there are a couple of things that I want to ask about like, before we get to sort of the work that you're doing at the yeah. Meadows School. But more, more is, I think that as a parent, a lot of parents have this question. Um, all of our children, to a certain age, naturally gravitate towards the arts. Like all of them, whether it's you yeah. know, doodling, coloring. Start out in the arts. That's where we start. Yeah. And then there's this sort of moment where so many of them stop and go into the flume of sort of um, uh, a more rigorous, I don't know, rigorous is the wrong word yeah. actually because the arts are rigorous, um, but they move away. Yeah. Regardless, you know, a huge portion of them move away. And I'm, you obviously are um, an example of where that didn't happen because you pursued these sort of you know, mathematics and art. So right. art was always a companion in your journey. So tell me what it looks like when a young person who in the midst of their education makes a decision that they want to continue to pursue the arts. Like right. what, what does that, what does that require? And what was the, what was the thinking? Like, were you thinking to yourself, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the performing arts. I'm going to be teaching performing or visual arts. What was it? That, that's, that's, that's really funny that you bring that up, you know, because to your first point, I, I want to point out the arts, the arts fall into, or uh, the perception of arts is that it falls into this pitfall that it, if it's fun, it can't be, uh, it can't be rigorous. Right. It, it, right. it can't be something that is actually going to benefit you in the long run, you know? Uh, and, so, but so much of, I think what the arts brings to you as a person influences whether or not you're going to, you know, whatever you do as you get older, I think, mm -hmm. or whatever you do just as a human being, I think the arts influence that. Um, so, and, and that's kind of what it was for me is it was funny. I, I, was doing theater and I did a little bit of theater in high school and, and I was like, okay, I think I, I might, you know, do it as, you know, audition for a play or whatever, but I was actually going to go into engineering. Mm -hmm. And, and when I went to look at the school that I, I was transferring into, they had an audition for a play and I toured the school. It was great. It was beautiful. It was this little independent school in St. Louis. And I walked over at the end of the tour and I auditioned for the, the, the production and they were like, that's great. We love it. We'd love for you to be part of this production. We'd love for you to be a theater major. Uh, we will give you a scholarship if you double major in something, but you can't do engineering. Mm -hmm. And so I did engineering and mathematics and it kind of, they, you know, everybody's like, how do those two things work together? But what I found was actually they complement each other a lot. And especially right. in my, in my world of, of theater, um, they did. And so, you know, I think that, that, that interception or inter intersection of the arts and mathematics and the arts and sciences. It's there, but for so long, I think we kind of took the arts out of it. You know, we, we were focused on STEM and we were focused right. on, you know, trying to put everything in this little boxes of like, you're either going to do science and we're going to focus on the science skills. And, uh, you know, I think research, you know, brain development's really showing us that those things are so interconnected. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it was always part of my life to have this arts. Well, and not even just, not even research, right? We, because really, <laughs> the, if you think about one of the greatest 
entrepreneurial computer science stories in American history is is Apple. Yeah. And Steve Jobs spoke probably more about the typography and calligraphy classes that he took at Reed than he ever talked about any engineer. He wasn't an engineer, no. right? I mean, he wasn't an engineer. He was somebody who was deeply steeped in aesthetics and art yes. and produced this, these, these products that obviously have become ubiquitous in America um, and are identified as part of this, you know, science and technology culture. But really the, like the things that people gravitate to them are all about aesthetics. Right. Right. Um, and, and it seems like it's something that almost all of our best innovators and entrepreneurs have in common is this real reverence for the arts. Yeah. Uh, and I, so, and, and, and for me, Personally, the arts, the arts is creativity. Right. I mean, that's, that's at the most basic level. What, whatever discipline you're part of, whatever skill you're learning, it's creativity. It's, it's, it's finding a way to harness what's inside of you and tell your story. Yeah. And, you know, the arts lend themselves to doing that. And so that, I, that's why I, I love the arts in the lower school. And I love the arts in the beginning school because it is. It's creativity. And then we evolve and we do and we learn. And... You know, what I want for the Meadows and what I want for, you know, education is to show that that creativity is the through line to a successful, happy, uh, you know, well-educated individual. And Absolutely. so, uh, you know. And, and aside from that, I mean, aside from the, the mission and purpose of making the arts part of sort of our daily bread, a right. part of what we procedurally do, I think that it's also uh, important for people who are, educated years ago mm-hmm. when maybe that wasn't the the guiding principle right to understand that it's also never too late you know yeah. I remember I was I was in uh, my mid-30s and having a conversation with an undergraduate student at Whitman College and said something along the lines I was like oh it's cool that you can play guitar I always wanted to be able to play guitar and he had this sort of dumbfounded look at me and was like well yeah, why don't you? <laughs> and I remember I didn't have a good answer, but it had occurred like it thought I thought to myself, well, now that I'm an adult, there's no room for this sort of creativity. But the exact opposite is true. I, I, I mean, it's I never think, too late to do that. I think that, you know, things like Masterclass and mm. and these these apps that provide, you know, uh, user content of showing. Yeah, I mean, just YouTube in general of showing like how easy it is to right. pick up a guitar and how easy it is to learn the piano. And you can, and you don't have to go, I'm learning the piano from the most, you know, in the Suzuki method right. of this. It's, I want to learn how to play this one song. Right. Yeah. And, and you can sit down and. In that sense, technology really blew the doors open right. for creators. And, and then, you, and you know, I've talked about this about, I mean, I think that my, my feelings about social media are probably pretty well known and to you yes, probably yes, as well as anyone. So. But the reality of, of those applications like TikTok are, they did just knock down the door of what it meant to be a creator. I mean, and you, you and I, we, we obviously have talked about this, but I, and I, and I said this yesterday, I, I love TikTok. You will never see me on TikTok. Right. I hope not. Well, no. I know I will never see no, you because no. I won't be there. You but, know, yeah. you won't be out there. And there are there are a lot of things that are you know social media, and obviously we can we can talk at length about the the, the disadvantages of. This. We we don't have to do that because I'm going to edit this afterwards and then just insert my entire lecture about social media <laughs> in post. To, in uh, post, go to Joe yeah. Carver's yeah. Uh, <laughs> social media. Terrify every one of the the, but, the listeners. I mean, just giving. Seeing our students, seeing children, uh, you know, appropriately mm-hmm. create content, create, you know, express themselves in a manner that they didn't think whether that they could do it or in a, uh, just 
taking chances, taking risks in a safe, obviously artistic manner. Right. Uh, I, that's what I love. I love giving students the platform to create. Yeah. What I learn. what I like too, in addition to obviously the plat the platform's critical. Right. Like it has to be something that that yeah, is readily safe. available and safe. Yeah. But I also like that it it sort of it diminishes the the fear. You're right. Because they're they're you know, you're not in a I you know, as a as a father of two kids, one of them who's probably a more natural public performer than the other it's so much easier for them to just turn the camera on their iPad and do something exactly. without feeling like they're standing in front of 30 or 40 people. And so like generations of kids like me, our performance opportunities came at like, you know, the Christmas pageant right. or whatever. You're and you got up and you're the rock. Yeah, exactly. You and know? you break a sweat because there's 90 parents yes. in the room. And, and I think in those environments, some kids would never try, but in an environment where a kid has a device, whether it's a you know an iPad or something else, and can just turn it around and act create out a, a stop, play or, or create a stop motion movie exactly. at the age of five, exactly, you yeah. know that exactly. th that is the accessibility to create these these innovative projects is is re like you said readily available. What we I think as educators have to do is find that link mm -hmm. because the students are already using these tools. Mm -hmm. The students are already creating this content. So how do we change kind of our instruction to, to bridge that gap so that they, they rise, to, they rise to the level of the skill that we're hoping. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we grow this, this interest among the broader group because, you know, the other thing that the arts are not, the arts are not an add on. The arts right. are, the arts are a, well, you do your normal day, and then if you have enough time, you can do the yeah. arts. But for generations, that's what that's it felt what it like. I mean, that's yeah. what it I mean, felt like what for I me growing up. At, that's what you were, yeah. My, my mother was my kindergarten art teacher, So and it still was. You know. Let me ask you a question, that, I, and maybe this is a loaded or unfair question, but, um, you know, the focus of, of these conversations are about innovation. Yeah. How, do, how do we do that, capture those students, elevate what they're doing, from those platforms, can it be done without the teachers really understanding the platforms those kids are using, or yes, is that sort of part I, of our no, challenge now? I, I, that's part of our challenge. I think you know, meeting. I think at the 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 mark of a good educator is meeting a student where they're at. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I, I, or I hope that's an obvious thing. Um, I'm not saying that we need to be you know TikTok savvy. Right. We need you know we need to have a general understanding of where the students are at in terms of the tools that they're using, mm -hmm. the platforms. And so you don't need to be an expert, but kind of be, you know, understand, you know, what they're doing and how they're creating art. Mm -hmm. What I think that uh, we as educators can do is use, help them use their tools to tell their story. Mm -hmm. So how do they elevate their story to, to be more, uh, uh impactful in, um, along the community, social justice, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, helping others, you know, giving them the sense that, okay, this is great that you are creating this content. That's mm -hmm. great that you are creating this art. Now let's grow from there. Let's start telling your story. Let's start telling the story of other people and go from there. So it's a pivot. I, and this is an important distinction yeah. that you brought up that I, that I didn't really think to articulate, but it's a pivot from being, um, content absorbers yes. to content creators and then liberating sort of that content to being a means of expressing your true self. So, because, you know, as I understand a lot of these things, what, what kids tend to do when they first enter into using these sort of content creations is mimic. Yeah. They do a lot of mimicry um, and they're absorbing. They're obviously taking in a lot of content to, to other people's benefit. Right. So that the trick it sounds like you're saying is to then say to them, now that you've learned how to do that, how do we tell your story? How do we create your content? Correct. 
free and that and that's interesting and you're right you don't have to have like you don't have to be a tiktok expert no. to be able to guide a student through that process well i mean it, you look at you look at babies what is the first thing they do they're mimicking they're you know they're saying the words that they're hearing they're they don't know mom mom you know and dad things like that right the same is for students that that are are you know taking this art form they're seeing what uh, their friends are doing or these peers are doing they're wanting to emulate that. And then once you kind of understand, okay, this is how I move. This is what I do. This is how I draw. This is how I paint. Then they start getting their own style and, and then they can start creating their own, their own, uh, their own passion. I get it. That's interesting. I, I want to take a minute. Um, I feel like I'm going to end up doing this in like every episode where there's the, this is the pandemic brought to you by Hi. the meadow. <laughs> uh, but I want to, I do want to talk about, because one of the things that, that I immediately became aware of when I arrived at the Meadow School was how forward-thinking um, and innovative you were being about finding ways to still share children's art and children's um, content with families, with parents, even though they couldn't at that time be on campus. And so I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about, uh, specifically I'm thinking about uh, the gallery tour that you created. Mm -hmm. If you could just talk a little bit about that, yeah. um, what, what, how you did it, because and I, I don't want to, I don't want to just sit and be effusive, but I thought it was such a great example of the low price of entry to make something available because you didn't go out and buy a $10,000 platform, a $10,000 camera, any of those things, but you still made all of these children's artwork available to their families and friends um, in a year when otherwise they wouldn't have. So can you just talk yeah. a little bit about that? I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the meadow brought to us by, by COVID, but you know, when I got here, obviously nobody's on campus and, you know, other than the students, we only had 50% of the, the upper school population on campus and, you know, students weren't allowed to just kind of move around the campus because they were in cohorts. And so we weren't able to, they weren't even to really go through the galleries. They could go to right. the restroom, but we were so locked down still. And so finding this opportunity to showcase art, to showcase content. And so I, I went down the rabbit hole of, okay, well, what are some options? You know, obviously we can take a picture of everyone's piece of art and put it up and it can be uh, a slideshow and things like that. But we had been part of enough Zooms and enough, uh, enough PowerPoint presentations that we know that we just kind of shut off mm -hmm. after a little bit. And so I started looking at other uh, other industries and you know if you've ever gone on Zillow and you ever click on <laughs> right, a house right. and you ever do the 3D tour of which the house, you had probably just done with I, you which just I just done yeah, we, so. we got our house and I'd never actually been in it when we when we moved here which was wild but you know and so doing this 3D tour and I so I did you know I back went back and said okay how are they doing it found this this platform called Matterport and which is made for for showing houses and basically we took a picture a 360 degree picture of every single photo so you are able to or every um, every single uh painting in our gallery so you can do a virtual tour of our our gallery mm -hmm. and you know some of the best museums in the world are doing this mm -hmm. But they're doing it on a, on a scale so much sure, grander than we sure. were able to do. So we were able to get in with a 360-degree camera that I think we had here in the library. Right. And a $9.99 a month you know, uh, service. Mm -hmm. And it just took a little bit of time. We were able to upload the images, upload the, the student's uh, artist statement. And yeah. Boom. And, and what was great, what was great, and it was one of the first things that I 
you know, I was here for a while before my family came out. So I was here for that six month period, kind of going back and forth between here and Miami. And so any content that came out, you know, I was like, I'm absorbed. Right. I'm like, got things to do. And what I loved about it was that you're right. A, you know, a less forward thinking person could have just taken photos of every piece. But what you did was you managed to capture the staging of the whole show, right. the feeling which, of like which is walking so through important, the room. right? Yeah, yeah it's that's so important what, in context yeah. to not just have a picture of a, a student's piece of art. I can have that. Yeah. So you created this sort of feel for what that journey was like going through the gallery. I thought it was I so mean, that, creative. That is, I, I don't know if this is because because of my background in theater, I'm all about user experience, mm -hmm. you know, and so so not only just the children's user experience, but. What are our families' user experience? Part of what our families want to see, they want to feel like they're part of this community. And coming in, not knowing the feeling of the Meadows community, I, I, I kind of took it as, okay, I need to make sure that the arts make the, the, the families feel like they're still part of us, like right. they're still part of this institution. Right. And so I, I was very intentional about, you know, our virtual concerts that yeah, we had. I loved by, them. By recording those because... Because and the students' monologues, that yeah, were, you know, you, you put know. So just in case whoever's listening doesn't have any sort of context for this, is there is there a place where they can still yeah, see yeah. these so things? All of our things are on our, our, our Meadows YouTube page, and then if you go onto our the the website, also you can go into our arts art section of our page. Yeah. And so you know, a lot of these things, it, it just it, we just had to change our thinking about how we how we did performances, how we did exhibitions, and things like that, and and really kind of say. We want to still express ourselves and we want you to still feel like you're part of this. Mm -hmm. So how finding that bond? Between so you're going to have to change that again. And that's, that's yeah. one of the things that we're talking about too in these conversations is, okay, we got through that. Yeah. Now and, things are different. And I don't want to throw much of that away. That's what, that's what I wonder. So what is your, what is your thought process for how do we decide what to keep and what to cast off? And, and maybe this seems tangential, but I really think that it's so, um, that's the crux of innovation, mm -hmm. right? Is so we respond to an emergency or we respond to a crisis, um, and out of that was born this whole you know COVID industrial complex and, right. and billions of dollars spent. Um, but as we know more now, and, and you know we we, uh, we have to make decisions. Well, what did we learn from this experience, yeah. and what what do we keep versus what do we slough off? Right. We and have so, to reflect on. Yeah. All so what decisions. is that? What does that process look like for you? Are you immediately thinking, well, listen? Are you looking at views and saying, well, hundreds of people yes. watch this, so that's a reason to redo it? I mean, what's that process? Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm looking at views. I'm I'm talking with the students. I'm talking with the families. I'm seeing kind of what works. Um, you know, ex I'm trying to see what's accessible. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of how much money we're going to spend, how much time we're going to invest. Um, but also looking at this from, okay, you know, for instance, I'll give you a prime example, the theater productions. We are obviously not going to get rid of main stage productions. That, right. would, that would be ridiculous. And I would never advocate for that. Um, I, we, we have our, 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 our fall production that's coming up and our musical hope, you know, our, and what's school, the, what's the fall production? Uh, uh, Eurydice. So, and so our musical will be in the spring, um, but what we have also done is continued our virtual stage. It's going to be called our virtual black box. Mm. And so it is a space where students can still showcase their, their own created content, their, their monologues, their scenes, their work just that is facilitated by our faculty, mm -hmm. but more created by them. So it's a little less polished. It's a little less, it's more how I reference as guerrilla theater. So right. it might be, you know, it's a marriage between film and an actual uh, uh, live performance. 
So yeah, and it's core, it's innovation. Right. It's, it's, it's something, something from nothing. It's something from nothing. Yeah. And, and so it doesn't, you know, giving this scaled ability for students to, to showcase, obviously. And then the musical and the productions are this, right. this, very, this very high production value, high uh, time invested type of thing. Yeah. And so we want to give, we want to give these entry points for students. We want to yeah. give them lots. And of they money. both really have their place because yeah, they, they gra- they, you know, they different do. students gravitate to different sorts of levels of investment right. and all of that. All right. Well, listen, I want, I want to, you know, like I said, the core of this, yeah. this conversation is about innovation. And I know that you have um, a really strong vision of what um, the future of, of the arts um, at the Meadow school looks like. So can you talk a little bit about two things? One, what your vision of art, art growth here looks like, um, and becoming, uh, that through line that you sort of talked about, but also, uh, a little bit more about the sort of cross curriculum impacts of art and the way that you envision it intersecting with other disciplines yeah. here at the medical school. Yeah. I, I mean, from the most, uh, I would say the, the thing that I, I want for the arts here at the Meadows is that that through line is what, what skills, what abilities, what access, you know, what, what, what things are we providing to our students at every grade level, every checkpoint? What things are we wanting them to master through the arts? So a student that is coming in in kindergarten and expresses an interest in visual arts has these, these steps that they're, they're moving through. And so by providing arts instruction, uh, arts specialists in the, the lower school is, is one of my, my, my large goals that we're, we're doing Dramatic arts providing that to to our students. So you know this through line of giving the students the ability to really build on their skills as they go through in the arts. That's I would say my my number one checkmark goal. Um, but it's providing these these non traditional forms of art and skills that I I really want to see developed in the middle school and upper school, giving them more access to get their hands on a camera and go work on their own projects. And what that is going to do to the, your second part is by giving these, these, these opportunities to be creative on their own terms, hopefully they'll see when they're assigned a history project or hopefully they'll, they'll, you know, when they're developing an English essay that is, you know, uh, um, you know dealing with an issue in the community, they might, approach it in a different manner that has an artistic element to it, you know, instead of, instead of always doing it as the, the traditional, uh, the model. So I'm hoping that some of these, these different platforms and these different, uh, uh, skills that we're teaching them will, will lend over into some of the work that they're doing in their, in their core curricular classes. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I really enjoyed and my prior institution was this cross-curricular programs that we had. We had, you know, the science of photography where, where uh, they were creating, they were talking about the chemicals. And so one of the science teachers and the photography teacher were co-teaching this class together to talk about the chemicals and the makeup and how adjusting these chemicals would create a different product. Mm. And it showed the real-world application of chemistry right. in photography. Right. And uh, there's so many opportunities for that in the arts and now it's just kind of reimagining schedules and reimagining how these things work together and i think it's it's interesting because what you're talking about and i've spent a lot of time in the last month thinking about space Mm. 
I'm thinking about the way we use space and the way that we design space. And so much of the last 20 years of what we've done, especially in independent schools, has been about programmed space. Right. And I know it's something you and I both <laughs> sort of agree on. Um, but we, we really, in some ways, by design, and perhaps in error, have designed those sort of intersectional opportunities out of curriculum by building spaces where we say, this is where our science kids go. And this is where our artist kids go. We have our arts building. We yeah, have our and science this is, building. We have And those English kids, thing. you know, those kids, those kids that are artists at their core, they're going to find that building no yep. matter what. But there's a whole nother population of students who don't realize that that's part of their core. And they don't have a programmatic reason to be in those spaces. Right. And so that we never open that door. And so what you're, what you're describing that sort of intersection also relies upon having the kind of spaces that invite those kind of what I would, I would say in the, in, in the article I was just reading sort of casual encounters, yeah. the casual encounters that you have with disciplines that are not your own are how you develop those extra interests and how you come to appreciate the intersections like, the way that chemistry intersects with photography. Right. And if you're not having these, these, for better terms, soft conversations with right. your colleagues, right. you know, are, are from the teacher standpoint, are we going to create this content? You know, or right. are we going to create these, these courses? Are we going to break down some of these walls that, that have been, you know, developed over the past 120 years of education? Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, giving, Spaces, you know, we talk about this at length, but spaces are something I constantly am looking at. I'm looking at how are we utilizing these spaces and how can we make them uh, more flexible for students to to do their, their, not just work, but their, you know, their education in these spaces that lend themselves to, to developing ideas that are outside of something that just came from a textbook or a lecture that they've heard. Yeah. So yeah. I have this unbridled love affair for the people uh, that worked in independent schools in the last 15 or 20 years who really just put their foot down and said flexible space because they just, it yeah. feels like they, they could see around corners and they understood that that's the way that people need to learn. So uh, and it's I say, not a new model. I no, 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 no. Because no. you know, education and this as everything, it, it it's a pendulum type thing. Of course, of course. And so, you know, we're not saying knock down every single wall and we're going to have a school no. in a warehouse. Right. But if you start, if the starting point is we should maximize our interactions where students yes. have the opportunity to have these casual interactions, but you also have to fill all of those needs, right? Like you've, you know, I'm sure you'd be the first person to say, you know, that, the, you know, a, a, a visual arts room is going to need this and this. It right. has to have these things. Performing arts, they have to have these things. But if, you start with the, we're going to do everything we can to retain the kind of space that allows for these casual interactions right. to occur and then still meet those standards. Then you've done the best that you can do. But too often, it seemed like we put that sort of expertism at the core of right. the design of space and to the to the detriment of those interactions. And actually, it's one of the, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of the time, but I had this question that I really wanted to ask. I feel like I've sort of sandbagged you because no. this is a question that, <laughs> this is a question that's, I think, at the at the core of, of so many art programs. But I want you to speak to it because I think that you understand this um, better than most people and certainly better than I. Uh, obviously, there will always be an element of, art that is about the pursuit of mastery. Yes. But 
there's also space for art to have just the element of creativity and to right. teach our children to be creators. So describe to me what the balancing act of those things are in a successful, vibrant arts department. What it means, what, what to have that balance between, or that spectrum, I, I, I like to think of it okay. as a spectrum. Okay. You know, the spectrum of mastery, the spectrum of creativity, you know, is having the, the space for students to not only, I, I keep going back to this, not only to create, but the space for students to, to go in on their own time, space for students to, to reflect on what they're doing, to get critiqued mm-hmm. by, their, by their counterparts, by their, by their faculty, um, having these moments of, of, of growth. And so I think that what, what we can do as an institution to have that spectrum is obviously have skilled faculty that can see this this understanding, sorry, uh, uh, of where each student is at, meaning right, them the where, journey, yeah, the yeah. journey of where they're at, to be able to balance this student that is going to probably go to Juilliard, mm-hmm. and then the student that is going to minor in in this field, in addition, and then the student that is it's impacting their lives, but they're not going to be necessarily an artist, you know, for, right. for but but giving them that space to all work together and see this kind of this, this trajectory that there is of the arts. And so, you know, I, I, again, it goes back to this, this old philosophy of like, we put all of our really skilled kids that are going to do everything really well in this class. And then Mm -hmm. we put our medium kids in this class by, by having that differentiated education in art, that's going to allow these students to see this progression and to say, you know, I want to dedicate my life to this. I want and then the other students to go, I love this and I want this to be part of my life, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily what I'm going to dedicate to. And having those spaces for students to work together, having those spaces to, for students to, to uh, be part of that art is, is what I think is important. And, and I, it's not necessarily like the physical space, but just... I wonder as somebody who is a casual observer in, of art, not an artist, it, is it fair to say that history really decides what mastery looks like. I think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't, was Jackson Pollock considered a master at the time that Jackson Pollock was Isn't painting? That what they or? say that, you know, you're only appreciated when you're right. dead. So, yeah, and, and, and if that's the case, it does seem like hitching your wagon to the idea of mastery is sort of a temporal fallacy. Right. Because it's only what we think mastery is now. And, and 20 years point. from now, there could be a completely, you know, right. new interpretation of what that looks like. Yeah, and, and so I think that by focusing on your passion right and giving opportunities for growth and that's what's going to show that's that's what's going to matter in the end that's what's going to be able to provide our students with with the tools and the skills and the balance that they're going to need as they graduate and leave here and so i i, I think that that focusing on those rather than how perfect this is mm-hmm. is going to benefit them more than anything. Well, I think that's a perfect point for us to go out on. Thanks again for taking time out of a very busy schedule. It was nice to hear what's going on with the arts here at the Meadow School, Mike. Thanks a bunch. I really enjoyed that conversation. I want to thank my guest, Michael Orman, the director of art at the Meadow School, uh, for giving so freely of his time to discuss the future of the arts. If you're interested in seeing any of the artwork that we described in this episode, please visit the school's website at www.themeadowschool.org 
or even its official YouTube channel. While you're at it, if you're interested in innovation and independent schools, take a moment to subscribe. I'll see you the next time we gather at The Meadow.